This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently, and we get to know them in a different way. Time is the new money. You know, if people make enough money that they they can live, if they can have time, that's what matters most. Our guest today is Stefan Arstel. Stefan is the CEO and founder of Tower Battleboards. Tower has been named the fastest growing company in San Diego, been ranked number 239 on the Inc. 500, and they've been invested in by Mark Cuban on ABC's Shark Tank. Entrepreneur Magazine has named them one of the top 10 success stories on the show, and People Magazine named them as one of Shark Tank's biggest winners. The success of Tower Paddleboards is fascinating, but what blew me away about Stefan was his big idea of the five-hour workday. Stefan details this game-changing idea in his book of the same name, The Five-Hour Workday, and challenges the way we work. It's a dramatically different way of looking at business, and I'm absolutely pumped for this conversation. So, Stefan, welcome to Business Done Differently. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Jesse. Well, I'm excited. This is going to be different than any show that we've had, because I'm really excited about going on a case study, because this is such a big idea, the five-hour workday. And, you know, there's there's a serious problem going on right now that people are working more hours, and you share the statistics in your book, and we have more productivity. My question to you is, like, why is this happening, and what's going on? Well, the I mean, we have a little more productivity, but uh, people are working longer hours. I, I mean, they're just kind of throwing uh, time and it's a cultural thing, really. And this is, uh, you know, predominantly in the U.S. And it's different in different parts of the world. Uh, but we're sort of throwing time at things um, to, to prove that we work more. I mean, Americans sort of pride themselves on being like, you know, the hardest working people out there. Um, but the reality is in the last 30 or 40 years, the way we work and the tools that we use to work have really, really changed. And so we can really accomplish in about two to three hours what used to take us 10 to 12 hours. <laughs> um, you know, just 30, 40 years ago. I mean, yeah, I used to go into my mom's office. And she was, she ran a bank, basically. And I would go in there. Um, she didn't have a computer on her desk. You know, she had a typewriter. Her phone was attached to the wall. They literally sent things in the mail. That's how they communicated with other people. I mean, this was when I was, you know, graduating from high school. Yeah. It was <laughs> insane. Now, today in our office, if the internet goes out, we just all go home. Uh, <laughs> mind you, we still have a supercomputer on our desk. You know, we still have a cell phone that travels everywhere. And it's already attached to the internet. So we still even have internet access. But it's not even worth being there. Um, you know, because you don't have, you know, the super, superpower. So yeah. We basically got nuclear power at our fingertips, but everybody's kind of working like it was 30 years ago. And they're like, well, we're going to work a little harder. It's fascinating. I think you so saw what's the average average in the United States is what, 47 hours? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's blown away. And then so basically this whole concept of the five hour workday. Now you share in your book, the eight hour workday was just kind of made up. There was no science to the eight hour yet. We've been doing it for almost 100 years. Yeah, I mean that was the that was the interesting thing to me is that I thought we'd been doing it for you know 500 years or a thousand years. I thought that was kind of just how people worked. Uh, kind of made sense, you know, five days a weekend. But I was just invented, you know, in the early 1900s, and it was largely invented for factory work. And the the idea was that they could get three eight-hour shifts um, because uh, you had the Industrial Revolution, and all of a sudden machines could work 24 hours a day. So this was a new thing. It was like how do we maximize productivity of these machines? And they said, well. They started just like working workers longer and longer hours. And it was like, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. I mean, they were working crazy hours, yeah. five, six days a week. Um, but they had a real problem. People started to get you know, sick and die on the factory floor. There's a statistic in my book, and it was something like one half of 1% of the U.S. workforce was being maimed or killed on you know, factory floors every year. <laughs> this was a real problem, right? They were overworking people. So then they decided, okay, we have these new machines. That doesn't mean we need to work you know, 24 hours a day because the machines can't. So they said, okay, we'll work three shifts of eight hours, 
and then the machines can run full time. And that's how it worked great for factories because the machines go full time. Now, you know, fast forward 80, 100 years and all of a sudden nobody's working in a factory anymore unless you live in China. <laughs> and, you know, we're still working the same way. We're coming into an office and working an eight hour shift because that worked really well for a factory. It's, it's really nonsensical if you look at it. it it's crazy. And, and, you know, Henry Ford's decision to go to eight hours, you know, they, they, people look at that as one of the best business decisions ever that he really cared about his employees. Yet in the last hundred years, there's been disruption in every field but not necessarily the typical workday, the nine to five, the eight to five, however you look at it. So how did you come up with this five-hour workday? Obviously, you must have looked at this and say, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? And how did you decide that? Well, it's it really sort of spawned out of what I've been doing uh, personally myself and entrepreneurial friends that I have, how they were working. So for the past probably 10 or 15 years, this is how I've been working. Not a five-hour workday. There's no magic in the five-hour number. Um, but just coming in, getting your job done, and getting out of there. Uh, when you sort of don't have a boss looking over your shoulder, you're not worried about making a good uh, you know, presentation or whatever. You just get in, knock your work out, and get out of there. So the work basically affords this sort of extraordinary lifestyle that you can live. So I was an entrepreneur from my first business I started in 2003, and I've been in the startup world for about five years then, but I was working for a company. And then you know, I worked for about seven years in that company. It was buypokerchips.com. And then I started the paddleboard company. And the poker chip company was always a one-person uh, mm -hmm. you know, endeavor. I mean, I hired a temporary worker at one point, but it was just sort of me. And then all of a sudden, the paddleboard company was 10 times the size of this poker chip company. And so I had workers, and I, had, I was getting good workers and bad workers, and we were on this sort of high-growth trajectory, and I was learning a new skill. Of how, do you, how do you get productivity out of workers? You, know, you got to make them happy so then they want to stay, and then they want to you know, work hard. And so it was a new skill I was learning, and at um, – at one point, I was also writing articles for, you know, Inc. Magazine and Fast Company and stuff like that. And I had this company that was help, helping me uh, write. And so they would give me article ideas of stuff to write. And I knew the founder of this company. And the, I, he sort of understood how I worked, sort of this sort of compressed work day. And that's how I had been working. So he, they sent me an article, just sort of threw it over the wall one day. Tell us about your five-hour work day. And, you know, and I interpreted that question when I went to sort of write this story as – your five-hour work at your company. That's not actually what he wrote, but that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. So it forced this really sort of mind-stretching exercise of, uh, first I was like, well, we don't have a five-hour work day. <laughs> I said, well, what if we did? What if we did? How would that work? And it was really an uncomfortable thing as an entrepreneur because I've got you know all these young kids right out of school. You know, I'm not paying them very much. I'm working them really hard. And I was just, you know, okay, well, now I'm going to have to let them work about half time and how's this going to work? And is this, should I even do this? And it was just really an uncomfortable exercise. But then when I really looked at it, I'm like, look, this is how I work. This is how all of the people, all of the entrepreneurs that I know that are really successful, this is exactly how they're working. Why wouldn't this work for an entire, uh, you know, organization? Yeah. And at the same time, I was sort of, I, I wrote this article and, uh, and published it. I was also, we were, we had just, uh, it was 2015, so we just got that award for you know, the fastest growing uh, company in San Diego, and we were on the 500 the next year in 2015. And so we were this high growth company, but, you know, and we were maybe five and a half million at that point. Um, we were on this growth trajectory, but I was like, okay, we're just a paddleboard company now. How are we going to take this from, you know, five, $10 million company to a $100 million company? Mm. And I was like, we've got to. We've got to basically create a brand that we can we can port into you know an apparel line, a skateboard line, a bike line, everything sort of beats lifestyle. Um, and how are we going to do that? And I hadn't really done brand building like that, so I was reading about um, you know branding. And there was this book called uh, What Great Brands Do, and they sort of broke down what the, the great brands do. And there were like seven tenets of this, and some of them were really sort of surprising. Like uh, one of the tenets was great brands don't give back. Mm, yep. 
this idea of a brand doing something and then giving back to the community is like total nonsense. <laughs> the best brands out there, they feel that what they are doing is giving back to the community. Mm, like, you know, the iPhone is, they brought you the iPhone. That's what they did great. You know, they didn't help, uh, you know, starving kids in Africa or something like that. But the product that they're creating is enabling, you know, greatness in the world, whatever. Southwest Airlines, same thing. Mm-hmm. They enabled, you know, people to fly without, you know, that same prices, you know, going on the bus. So that changed the world in that way. So, um, and then the other thing was that great brands had to, um, and this is the thing that sort of tied in with Five Hour Workday, was great brands uh, sort of did their brand as business. Mm-hmm. So they basically really lived their brand within their company. And when I when I thought about that, our own company, you know, we're a beach lifestyle company, we're telling everybody to check out work and go, you know, surfing. Um, I was like, no, we're like two blocks from the beach, but we're like working these startup hours, you know, slaving away. I'm like, we're not really living our brand. And I said, why don't we live our brand? And I said, wait a second, that article I just wrote about the five-hour workday, that was actually our brand. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of, you know, cutting out at one. So that, it dovetailed perfectly with our brand. And, I, and it just sort of clicked. And I said, screw it, we're going to try this. We're going <laughs> to give this an experiment. And when we did it, we didn't just switch to it full time. We did sort of a three-month experiment. And I came in and just told everybody, you know, okay, on Monday, and it was uh, early June. And I said, uh, or it was in May, so on June 1st, we started it. And I said, okay, everybody, on Monday, we're going to move to a five-hour workday, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., straight through, no lunch. You can have lunch after. Um, and I need you, so I'm going to give you your life back here. You're literally going to check out at 1 o'clock. Um, but I need you to figure out how to get all your work done or more, um, or you're going to be fired. So <laughs> give them their life back, but put pressure on people. It's amazing. Now, I want to go into the building brand as business in a little bit. Denise Leon is actually going to be on the like, upcoming guest on the show. And I love the yeah, living. Yeah, Yes. Oh, well, what great brands do. She also has the great book, Fusion. So love, love what she's doing. And, you know, living the brand, I think, is huge. But you just went into to day one. And I'm thinking as a business owner here, you, you, how many employees did you have at the time? Uh, I think we had seven at the time. Okay. So you, you go and say, this is what's going to happen. What, what, like, what happened? What was the reaction from the employees? Because that's such a dramatic shift. Well, I mean, they were excited. Some, there was a little bit of disbelief. Um, <laughs> and I think there was some worried by people like, yeah, it sounds great, but we're not really going to be able to, to get it done in that amount of time. And, you know, so I think people thought it was just sort of lip service. And then, I, you know, I made a point of it the first month. Like I was walking out the door at one, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like, OK, we're going to say we're going to work five hours. And then, oh, is anybody looking? Can I really walk out the door? So I wanted to make that point. And then, you know. It was it put pressure on some people. We had a couple of people leave on their own accord after that, um, you know. And I fired people after that, uh, you know. For as far as recruiting, we had people, you know, want to come into the company basically just because of the five hour workday, Interesting. Uh, and not for good reasons really. But we started to almost attract like two people, like a really sort of lazy type person, wow. and then these sort of these other people that were sort of highly productive people that were doing you know three times the work of everybody in their office and getting paid you know a 20 percent premium. And they were sort of tired of, you know, sort of carrying the weight of their entire team. So that's who we were trying to attract. Well, no, it's really interesting. So now you've done it for, it became an experimentation doing it for, you know, a quarter. And how many years have you done it now? Well, we did it for two full years. Um, Last year, so five-hour workdays straight through the whole year. And then last year in March, so I get it just over a little over a year ago, um, we made an adjustment. So productivity was going great. Uh, You know, when we started the experiment, we were doing about five, five and a half million. And then uh, the next year we did like 7.1 million. The next year we did 7.5 million. Um, and then the paddleboard market, there was a little adjustment in the market. And so in the first quarter of 2017, uh, we were down 60% for that quarter year over year in revenues. Um, it ended up the year being down a little bit, but it was down 20% or something like that. But the first quarter was really sort of shocking. And we were nine people at that time. 
and we lost four people in a 90 day period. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, one of them I fired. So obviously that was my fault. <laughs> uh, but the other three, uh, left. And I mean, these are people that were young kids, you know, one of them was making like 80,000 a year, you know, and she started at 40, just a few years earlier. Wow. And, um, she moved to Mexico with her boyfriend, another girl quit to go into consulting. Um, somebody else quit to you know, drive a van across the country or whatever, but, I was sort of racking my brain and I'm like, I don't understand this. Like, you know, I'm giving these people a five hour workday. Um, they're getting paid well. You know, we do two all, all company trips every year. Like the culture, I thought the culture was pretty good, um, but we're losing people. And, you know, now revenues are down. So I sort of got pissed off and I said, look, they don't appreciate this. Um, so, you know, I'm going to pull this away. And But at the same time, it was hard for me to argue that productivity wasn't the same or better uh, because our revenues yeah. were 50% more than when, when we increased. And, but uh, when I really, really sort of started to examine it, I realized that, you know, people were not leaving the company. They were leaving the other people that they were working with. So the bonds from, you know, one employee to the next had sort of eroded. You know, when we were in a startup culture and we're all working in the trenches together, you know, long hours, um, you really form this weird bond that you've gone to war together, right? And it's really hard to leave that company um, where when you're checking out at one o'clock uh, um, every day, uh, work is just this thing you do in the morning, uh, you know, and then you go live your life. Because literally, you got nine or ten hour yeah. block of time, you know, after work to do whatever you want to do. Well, and it, you know, people use that time differently. But I think a lot of people, like we had, uh, you know, one or two marriages, and a lot of people got into relationships and they left the company because of relationships. So they're spending more time on that. So I guess that's good. But as far as uh, you know, the company, we were lo- losing that that common bond. Um, so. I, uh, we tweaked the experiment and this is a live experiment. I mean, I, I don't have no illusions. It's anything magic about, you know, the five hour workday. Um, it was just an experiment, but now what we're doing is we're doing that five hour workday from June 1st to September 30th, which is the busiest time of our year. And a lot of people, when I tell them this, they said, well, that's just stupid. You should do it when you're slow. But those people don't understand why we're doing the five hour workday. Mm-hmm. It's basically, you're trying to squeeze people for time. And so they're really sort of, you know, stressed and then they have to find creative solutions to get you know, more work done in less time. Hmm. So that's when you want to squeeze them is when it's the, uh, you know, the, the critical time. Um, so we do that five hour work day for four months there. And that's when we do 70% of our revenue. And then in the offices we go back to startup hours. Um, so it's, it's kind of a hybrid uh, yeah. test. Um, so we can uh, get the benefit of sort of learning how to work faster during the summer. We kind of call it summer efficiency school, basically. <laughs> and then in the off season, we do more project based work. And that's, more where we get that sort of startup uh, culture and, you know, working together. So it's, it's an experiment. There may even be another sort of level of this experiment, which we do. Um, because another thing I noticed is that people that were here for you know three or four years, um, they tend to do well with it than people that were new mm-hmm. and just get the five hour workday right out of it. It's, it's like they haven't earned it. Right. So I thought of doing something like uh, they do an education where a teacher will get tenure. Mm-hmm. So maybe after someone has been here for you know four years or something like that, then I'm thinking about, okay, anybody who's been here more than four years gets the five-hour workday year-round uh, because they can basically handle it. They're already part of the company culture. Uh, but we haven't done that yet, but that might be a, a test we'll in the future. <laughs> well, well, there's so much to unpack there. You know, I think, obviously, experimentation. I think every business should constantly do experiments so you keep things new and try things. But I think the big thing that was so fascinating about the book and what you're doing, Seven, is the, the, you wrote the object of work is to improve quality of life and you know living the brand. And the reality is, you know, doing this eight to one every day, the idea is that in the afternoon, they can do things that they want to do. Like for you, they want to go to the beach, they want to be with friends. And that's what's so fascinating to me, because if we truly care about our employees, we will put them first in everything we do and say, all right, what is that perfect day work for you with not only work, but also balancing the personal happiness. 
But I think what's unbelievable about your study is that you realize that some of your people, they had maybe as much fun working and being around the people than being outside of work. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the interesting thing here. We live in uh, what I call, at least in the U.S., um, in a lot of parts of the world, um, in sort of this a very prosperous time. Like uh, as much as, you know, the, the, the politicians talk about how hard times are and stuff like this. I mean, even people that are on welfare have, you know, uh, two flat screen TVs in their house and, you know, a car or two. Um, so we're, we're actually a very prosperous society. And I think like beyond a certain level, um, I mean, they've done studies like beyond making like 75,000 a year, your happiness level doesn't even go up beyond that. Right. Mm. And so, but we're in this sort of mindset of, I did an interview with on um, Fox and friends with Tucker Carlson. Right. And he was, he was talking, you know, he was talking about this book and he was trying to debunk the book basically. And I told him, well, I said, look, like Tucker, look, the, the point of, of work or of life is not work. We're not like economic slaves. Right. And he had a real problem with this. He was like, no, I, I don't necessarily think you're right. I don't think the point of life is to, you know, go paddleboarding or go surfing. The point of life is to achieve stuff. And I said, really? Like that's <laughs> the point of life is to do whatever you want to do. Maybe if you, and I said, some people are achievement oriented. Some people are family oriented. Some people are oriented towards helping others. And so however you can contribute. Um, but and I, I told him we needed to really start measuring things by, you know, like a gross happiness product as opposed as opposed to just sort of, you know, GDP. And, uh, you know, he, he just thought this was like I was speaking some foreign language. But what I think is interesting is that uh, you know, Tucker Carlson's view is a lot of American uh, view. You know, it's all about how productive are we as a nation because we can you know pride ourselves on that. But and that's good to a certain degree. But if you take that uh, to a, you know, a really far extent, you get sort of the unhappiness that, that comes out of capitalism and competition and stuff like that. And it starts to breed a lot of you know, disease and you know, divorce and you know, unhappiness in life. So then it's like, what are we, we really working for? And then you mentioned something in there about uh, you know, different people using this differently, their free time, right? Mm-hmm. So if you just give people more money, they kind of got to use it on the, the same type of stuff. But if you start giving people a lot more time, People can use that time at, for different things at different points in their life and to, to gain more happiness. So if they have children, they can spend more time, you know, with their family or if they're um, young and they're like have new relationships, they can spend more time in their relationships. If, you know, and this is true for some people, they just need, you know, to get by. They just need to make more money or get ahead or, you know, they can go get a second job driving Uber or something like that. Yeah. So you can use this for, you know, to, to better your relationships, um, to better your health. I mean, that's one thing I did. I was just bored in the afternoon. And so I, for the first time in my life, I found myself in a gym. After the <laughs> um, you know, or you can use it to make more money. And that flexibility of giving people time and then do with, do with it what you want is a huge beneficial thing. And I think some people don't even realize that they need that, um, but I, I think it is important for well, them. It's unbelievable because I, you know, I believe with you, the time is the new money. You know, if people make enough money that they, that they can live, if they can have time, that's what matters most. I'm sure you get asked the question a lot, but you know, the definition of success, I get asked it, and I finally like you know clarified it. To me, it's freedom and fulfillment, the ability to do what I want, when I want, with the people I want, and to do things that bring me joy and happiness and purpose. And by putting those together, literally, your idea of a five-hour workday is giving that. And, and that's why I'm so fascinated. I'm wondering, you know, why aren't other companies trying this? Is it because they're so focused on bottom line, money, profit, even though you prove that it works? Like, is it they're not putting their employees first? Like, what are your thoughts on why this isn't widely implemented? Well, it's, um, you know, since the book, I've had a lot of people have come to me and said, hey, I've changed my company to this. Um, you know, I've had a number of authors, you know, contact me and they said they've had other people talk to them and they use my book is a reference. So yeah. I think it's something that people are experimenting with. And I think people have been experimenting Great. with different types of work for the last 20 or 30 years. Um, but 
it's and it's different from culture to culture, and that that is sort of the interesting thing. So when I was younger, when I was in um, college, I traveled. I traveled a lot, but I traveled for you know three months through Australia. So I really sort of got into their culture and understood. And Australians at the time, and this was the mid '90s. I mean, they basically um, worked, you know, to live. Basically, they would, you know, work wasn't anything, you know, special. They would just do it, and that sort of afforded them this quality of life. And seeing that culture was very different from the American culture that I, you know, grew up in, where you know. People sort of lived to work. I mean, you were defined by how much money you made. You know, what do you do for, you know, <laughs> that's the that's the you know common question whenever you meet somebody. Well, what do you do? And they tell you what they do for work, right? In Australia, I went for three months and I don't think I had that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and it was not only Australians, but there were a lot of European, you know, kids traveling there. One thing is we weren't working, I suppose. But it was such a different world to live in. That's sort of where I got exposed to this. So interesting, when I, uh, when I published the book, we were promoting it in the U.S. You know, I had a PR company. Um, so they got me some, you know, speaking gigs, and we got, you know, four or five national, uh, you know, TV stuff, and we got a lot of newspapers and stuff. But we were not promoting it outside the U.S. But you know, one day, all of a sudden, it started to go international, and we got ended up getting press in about 20 countries, and it really resonated in in parts of Europe. And I was telling my friends this, and they're like, "Yeah, of course, you know, that that socialistic, you know, crap. They love that stuff in Europe." And I was like, "No, no, you don't understand." Like, yeah, France, it, it was big in France, too. And I think they like it for the socialistic element of it. Like, they just want to work less, and, you know, whatever, or treat workers better. But I was actually looking at this from a dual side, right, from the socialistic side, because I, you know, I kind of give a shit about how I work or how you treat people. But on the other side, you know, I'm a, I'm a diehard capitalist. Like, I want to squeeze productivity out of people, right? If I'm going to pay them, I want them to, you know, give me, you know, productivity. So the place where it really blew up was Germany, okay? And, uh, I mean, it was on you know the front page of you know major newspapers in Germany. We had TV stations fly over to do this. Why Germany? And, like, and why was this? Right. Yeah. So I asked some of this TV crew that came over here, and they said, "Well, the thing is about Germans. They look at Americans, and they, they see Americans as yeah, there's this you know, this big economy, and they work hard, but they see us as a bunch of like you know fat people working these long hours and dying of heart attacks, right? And not really doing much more. Where Germany is a much smaller country than us, and you know their economy is almost as big as ours, right? Mm. And they see themselves as the most efficient country in the world. So, so the idea of the five-hour workday is really about efficiency. Mm. It's about maximizing productivity while minimizing, you know, influence, basically. And to Germans, this was just speaking, you know, exactly what they're all about. Mm. Uh, so that's why it resonated there. So, but it's interesting when you talk about, uh, you know, why haven't companies adopted it? I mean, entire nations have like tried with experiments. I think uh, Sweden was trying like a, you know, experimenting with a six-hour workday. Mm. Uh, a lot of European countries actually work a much shorter day than we work, and obviously they have you know five or six weeks um, of vacation, uh, you know, baked into their lives as well. Wow, it, so, it, it's fascinating. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just such a big idea and a great concept. And I guess before we go into some quick final fun rounds. I'm scared, like, it scared the crap out of me, Steph, and I'm going to be honest with you. I read this, and I was like, we need to be doing this, and it was such a big idea, but it scared me in the sense that, you know, what if our people don't respond? What if it hurts our culture? What if it, you know, all these questions, but I think, you know, big ideas that scare you, you should, you know, jump right in on. What would you advise for someone like me or someone that has small business, you know, 15 full-time employees that is sometimes very seasonal? If we want to implement it day one, what would you advise on what we should do and maybe how we could tinker it based on what you've learned? I mean, I think the biggest thing is you're trying to um, attract people. So if you just say, I'm going to give a five-hour workday to my existing company, that's kind of the wrong thought because maybe you have the right people, maybe you don't have the right people. Um, but what you're trying to do is it's a renegotiation with labor. It's like, I'm basically going to start paying you twice as much per hour to work if everybody's on salary. That's sort of the effective math of this. Um, so you're, you're trying to 
like attract all of the people in every office around the area that you live that work at three times the speed of everybody else because they've been getting screwed in the old way of the compensation, right? And so you attract them and you let them give them a better deal and they just sort of build the company for you. So it really is about bringing in a new team of these people and keep the ones that you have. So this may be scary to your team, I suppose. Um, but not everybody responds perfectly well to this. And I think maybe it's not suited to certain people. But for the, the, the real like hardcore performers, um, I think this is very attractive to them. So what you're trying to do is really remake your team into you know this all-star team of people that can really thrive in this environment. And then that's really going to take your company somewhere. So, now, when you, when you um, the mechanics of how you roll this out, I think every company can benefit from doing uh, like a three-month trial like we initially um, you know, did. Um, even you know, a company, a thousand-person company, a, a big company that would say like this would never work. If you just give your employees basically the summer off, basically afternoons, you know, after one, and but tell them at the same time, like, look, anybody who can't figure out how to do this is going to get fired. You're going to put pressure on them, and you're also going to give them this really tangible like give back. Like when people walk out of uh, you know work at one o'clock, they really don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> I mean, they've got so much free time on their hand. I mean, it is like it's a life changing experience. It's basically like you go on vacation for three months and. To some people, they're going to be like, holy crap, like, I didn't even know this existed. And they're going to have that, and they're going to, they're going to say, my employer basically gave me this, and that, which isn't true. They gave themselves this by working. But then they see what they do is work, providing this sort of you know, great lifestyle, where I think a lot of people like, look at work as this, uh, this nagging thing that they got to do. You know, that sort of occupies a big chunk of their life. But what if they want to work? Enabling thing. But what what if they want to, like, I know people, like, they actually really enjoy being here. They say they love being around people. It's like, oh, you know, I want to work. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'd rather be here. How do you handle that? Okay, fine. Yeah. So this is a a new minimum. I mean, you're going to have people, if you have an eight-hour day, that are going to, you know, check out of work and uh, maybe work till midnight on side business. I mean, that's what I did. I mean, that's kind of funny that I came up with this because a lot of times I will, you know, finish that and then I'll go work on some side business or something like that. So you let I'm some people, one of these ambitious people, yeah. you know, so, so you let but some people, how, leave at one. it's not work to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so you let some people say, all right, so you can leave at one and then other people can stay till five. I feel like that would cause almost resentment. No, no, no. I, I mean, you got to make it very clear. It's no different than when everybody's working till five or six o'clock. Yeah. Uh, some people are going to stay late, uh, but you want to make it really clear that, you know, you're not going to impress me by putting in, you know, extra hours and trying to stay here like the longest. Like, we're not playing that game anymore. Yeah. We're playing the productivity game. So you're going to be measured on your productivity. And if you walk out the door, I sort of classify people as three things. There's like, okay, you're going to walk out at one and you're killing it and everything's going great. That's great. You're you're an all-star employee. Okay, now, if you're walking out of one and you're really falling behind and, you know, you're not really producing or whatever, that's a problem. Now, if you're, you know, working a couple extra hours and things are still falling apart, but you're trying to figure it out, that's fine. Okay, so if you can't figure out how to do this, throw extra hours at it until you figure out how to do it. Awesome. But if you're just going to be like, well, I'm going to work five hours. I'm not really going to do anything. And then those people are going to get fired. Yeah. So you have to there has to be some change in how people work uh, to to sort of accomplish this. And, yeah. you know, when we when we did this, um, it's about identifying uh, new ways of, of working and doing what you were doing and, and finding new productivity tools. And these are like cheap and free tools that are available everywhere that people are just not using because. They're not sweets for time right now. So there's um, there's a website associated with the book, 5hourworkday.com. And on there, there's a PDF that you can download. It's got like you know, 35 or 40 productivity tools, uh, free and cheap tools that we've found and identified and used as a team. And it's like, you know, one person on the team will find this tool and then she'll share it with the rest of the team. And then, you know, use it if you want or don't. 
But those tools, I mean, some of those tools can save like, you know, a week, a month of your life like, yeah. just by using this tool. And these are tools that have been around for five or 10 years. And it's like, why wasn't I using this before? Oh, wow. But that's really what happens here. Squeeze them for time, identify those tools, and you work in a different manner. Yeah, well, that's what it comes down. I mean, it comes down to productivity and happiness. And out of curiosity, I got to ask, how has Mark Cuban taken to this? Well, I mean, he, when I rolled it out, I sort of informed him. I've learned dealing with uh, Cuban as an investor. If I ask him stuff and then he says no, then I sort of have to either do what he said or sort of defy him. So if it's something I'm going to do or I want to do, I just do it. And then I inform him about what we did, right? So when we rolled this out, uh, I, it, it happened to be June of 2015, and that was the first month that we did a million-dollar month mm-hmm. in, in revenue. And I said, hey, Mark, uh, good news, you know, a million dollars in revenue, this and that, whatever. So I barely sandwiched it in there with a lot of great stuff. And, oh, by the way, we're going to, you know, go to a five-hour uh, workday. And he just replied back, you know, as it usually does with two or three words, uh, you know, sounds great, basically. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe three or four months later, he was like, uh, you know, I mentioned we were going to start a bikini line or something like that. And then he sort of went off on me. He's like, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're doing, uh, starting a bikini line. You're going to fail in that. You're doing a compressed workday. Like, he doesn't really like the five-hour workday um, because it doesn't fit his yeah. uh, identity of how the world works. I mean, he doesn't like an eight-hour workday is what you have to understand. <laughs> and also, I mean, this is this is his hobby. Like, he's like a you know professional athlete of work. So he just loves it. He's like the Brett Favre working, right? Like yeah. Brett Favre would pay football play football whether they pay him or not yeah and well it's, it's a balance. that's how cuban looks at work so anybody who doesn't he sort of views with a little <laughs> yeah. suspicion uh, but at the same time he understands i mean we've done very well for him we're one of, i think we're his best performing company in the history of knowledge shark tank investments the, the proof uh, is in the pudding he understands how this dovetails with our brand oh, wow. and the idea that we are a company that's living our brand so a beach lifestyle company in san diego that does a five-hour workday is different from uh Maybe a um, you know SpaceX is trying to put uh, you know a man on Mars in ten years. Like them working a five-hour workday maybe would be a little different, um, you know, because they're getting all already getting these like super smart guys and then working them to death. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. So, and they have a lot of success doing that as well. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's there's obviously numerous ways that it can work, but I just I think you know you're putting happiness, you're putting your customers first, you're putting your employees first, and it's working. And that's what I think it's a big idea. I mean, I hope it absolutely, absolutely takes off. So a couple of quick lightning rounds here, Stephen. I want to go to question time. I believe if you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. What other questions are you asking right now in business? I mean, our big question is because we're a direct to consumer brand, right? Uh, but we also uh, you know four or five years ago we started leveraging Amazon where we were uh, starting to sell our products direct to consumers, but also through Amazon. And uh, initially there was an opportunity to do that, but I think the window on the opportunity is closing on that. Um, Amazon is becoming much more of a middleman um, and they're taking a larger and larger percent of cut as they sort of accumulate power. And it seems to me like the the entire world is going towards, uh, you know, you're basically either getting sales through, uh, you know, Google uh, or Amazon. And they're both becoming very powerful middlemen. Mm-hmm. So, my question is like, how how do you sort of survive? And have we basically uh, started? You know, when the internet came around, it was like there's going to be this huge disruption. We're going to basically get rid of all the middlemen, and we did, and they disappeared. But now suddenly we've got two much more powerful middlemen that are in the middle of all transactions. Every time you buy, you know, uh, a paddleboard for six hundred dollars, you know, Google is taking two hundred of that, or Amazon is taking two hundred dollars of that. Uh, so <laughs> we've come full circle to where we're almost back to retail, really. Mm. Um, you know, and I think, how is that going to play out? And we're sort of, my question is, do we, do we, do we go straight direct? Do we continue to do this? Uh, 
but it's weird. There's a new world of monopolies that I don't think the world has really wrapped their head around. No, it's yeah. fascinating. It's, it's almost like, how can you own your brand so much that people go directly to you? And it's kind of like why Netflix is now producing all their own content because they want to own their own brand. And the same thing, you got to almost make Tower so big that, you know, have so much content, so much information that people go directly to you no matter what. Yeah, I mean, Netflix is a great example because essentially they don't really need cable TV. Like you come to this realization that you're just sort of using cable TV or, you know, using other companies to produce content. You really need to. That's how it's always been done. But maybe the best and most efficient way to do it and the the way to make, you know, the best content and deliver it to people is uh, Netflix already, uh, they can get directly from them. Maybe they just make it themselves Mm. and they... And that's why they're just blowing up as a company. And a lot of companies are doing that. And if you look at, like, you know, Tower Paddleboards, like, you know, there's, I don't know, four, three or four billion people online now, and they're basically one click away from Tower Paddleboards. Mm. So why do I need anybody else to sell them a paddleboard? Yeah. I don't. If I just make the best paddleboards in the world, and we have, like, artificial intelligence coming along, uh, they're going to know who makes the best paddleboards. I'm one click away. I don't need anybody else. Yeah, um, well, you got to so draw them. Need to start thinking like that. Yeah, well, you need to draw them to your brand. So, I mean, that, that's a good uh, segue here to marketing minute. I mean, what are some of the best things you've done now to market your brand? How are you? How are you getting people to come to you? Obviously, the five-hour workday was huge, but anything else specifically? I mean, it's this idea of we started in paddle boards, and now we're extending into uh, beach lifestyle. So we're coming out with electric bikes, we're coming out with beach cruisers, we're coming out with skateboards, surfboards, snorkel equipment. Uh, so we're trying to basically leverage one, one thing that we have expertise in uh, to a whole class. So direct consumer beach lifestyle products. So anything in there. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a, it's a brand building thing. Mm. It's not one of these, like, you know, you start it up today and you, you pour gas on it with, uh, you know, AdWords or something like that and it blows up. It's something like, okay, if we're going to build a new company, it's going to take 30 years to build this brand. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you do that? And I think it's for us, it's going to be like, we're going to succeed in each product individually. And then also this direct to uh, direct to consumer connection that we have through, you know, we have an email list of maybe a hundred thousand now, and we have social media followings of, you know, 30 or 50,000 on every channel. Uh, you know, we're really doubling down on that. Like I was sort of suspicious of social media uh, for a long time. It didn't seem like there was any revenue coming out of there, but that truly is the, your direct to consumer connection. And that direct consumer connection is, is very critical uh, mm. because as opposed to a brand that just sells into a retailer or sells into somebody else who actually has the customer, you don't have that immediate feedback with your customer and you can't sort of uh, serve them very well. Mm. And I think once you have that direct communication, it just it changes how you develop products. And, uh, you know, because you're basically integrating uh, customer feedback into your development uh, product development cycle. I think that that's very interesting. And then if you can directly sell with these customers, it raises your profit margins, mm-hmm. how much you can reinvest into building great products. I think like the, you know, the great companies in the future are going to have this direct consumer connection mm-hmm. because it's just a more efficient model and they're going to be able to build uh, better products and give them at a, at a better price. Well, yeah, you need to own your brand and live your brand. We actually hired a full-time videographer has been there now two years, which doesn't make sense for a seasonal baseball team, but producing that content and bringing more people to our platforms and our social media has more ways to direct consumer. So I'm actually questioning, this is going on a whole other tangent we don't need to go to, but are almost all companies going to bring in their own content machines to try to build that brand loyalty? Yeah, no, and I think that's, I think that's brilliant. We have a company, we're only six people now. Uh, one of them is a full-time uh, filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think every company should have that. I'm on board with that. Yeah, I love it. All right, beautiful. Let's finish up. Let's go with some favorites and then to the final four about standing out. So first favorites, what's a favorite part of your morning routine? Um, you know, I, 
I like it when I come in and I don't really look at my email box and just sort of I have something that I was thinking about the night before and I'll sort of knock out a, you know, a project. I'm much more interested in, in project than running the day to day. I think that's why I'm almost, uh, you know, out of my depth when I when I go to like optimize a company and grow a company. I'm more about you know, developing a company from the start. Uh, to getting it going and handing it off to somebody. So I really like the project-based stuff. I love it. What about favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Or it could be at 2 o'clock, depending on the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't uh, I don't really get wound up. <laughs> so <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much like a low-key, you know, never get too excited, never get too down uh, type of person. Okay. So I really don't need to, to unwind. I live right on the beach, so I can just, you know, sit on my patio and have a margarita and watch the uh, sunset go down. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Every, every day is relaxed. Good. I love it. I love it. What about, I'm going to add in this one, a favorite habit that you think that you have that may, you know, lead to some of your success potentially? Um, you know, I think probably, and I'm not sure I would call this a habit, but I'm just sort of stubborn. <laughs> and I think uh, stubbornness is, can be an asset um, in, in entrepreneurship uh, because you have these sort of, you have these ups and downs in entrepreneurship and things go good and things go bad and things go good and things go bad. And unless you're just sort of doggedly, you know, stubborn and going after things and you can bump into a wall like 10 times and then, uh, you know, choose to bump into it the 11th time and then you'll bust through it, um, you, you won't find success. Yeah. And so I think that sort of stubbornness yeah, has you know, led to a lot of success. Yeah, that's good. All right. This is a tough one. I know as a reader, and we've already mentioned a couple of great books from Denise uh, Leon, but what's another favorite book that stands out? Um, well, I'm just thinking about a book I'm reading currently. It's Richard Branson's latest book, um, you know, uh, I think it's Losing My Virginity. Yep. It's a it's an interesting book, and I'm only about halfway through this book, but I just think it's really interesting what uh, this guy, who wasn't a very you know bright guy, um, sort of has done and how he's done it. And it's very different than, than most business leaders in the world because he kind of does the right thing, and he kind of thinks about you know things a little more holistically. Mm. And uh, you know, I think it's just a, an interesting uh, interesting approach that a lot of business leaders and a lot of people should should read because. It makes you just sort of think of like, like anybody can do anything kind of. Well, some synergy too with obviously the lifestyle brands from what he does and what you do and the way live life. He's probably a little crazier than you, I would say. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Excellent. All right. Magic moment. What's a uh, one moment you'll never forget? Um, you know, I don't really know. Uh, I suppose I mean, a moment that to me is something that might seem kind of silly. But in, in high school, like football, where we would, you know, kick the ball up and, yeah. you know, run down the field because I was way undersized to be playing football. <laughs> and uh, but I just sort of worked my way into a starting position on the team and just sort of the, the fear that I had and sort of overcoming that. And there's nothing more than that when you are on the, the kickoff team because you're, you know, you kick off and you just sort of a primal scream and you're running down the field knowing that, you know, some 250 pound guy is just going to wipe you out uh, sideways, uh, <laughs> but doing it anyways. Wow. I that's I a great analogy for life yeah. is just go running, screaming down the field and, uh, you know, some, some bad's probably going to happen. Uh, don't let that stop you. Well, it's great. It's, it's do and then learn. It's, it's constantly experiment and try new things. So now when I'm trying new things, I'm going to picture running and screaming with a first kickoff. So thank you for that. That was perfect. <laughs> All right. Here, here at the final four, finish here. What have you done to stand out in business and in life? Um, you know, I think mostly in business, I think I'm, I'm pretty, pretty well educated and I'm a pretty good business mind. And I think when you, when you have that, I think you can do a lot of different things in business. And I think a lot of people like, will just see opportunities where there's an opportunity to make a lot of money. I mean, a good example right now is with like, uh, you know, the marijuana laws have been relaxed and there's a lot of money to be made, you know, becoming a drug dealer. Um, and there's a lot of money to be made in sort of the economic you know, conditions right now of, you know, doing payday loans or something like that. 
and there's a lot of money to be made in like you know shady insurance and stuff like that. Mm. There's a lot of money to be made in shady ways um, that that sort of like you're a parasite on the world. And so one of the things I'm most proud of is that I've always tried to identify businesses that I think would really like sort of add something to humanity, mm. and then just everything else. I just think you just you just pull that off the table because you have a choice. And I think, you know, when we have good outcomes and bad outcomes in the world, it's by, you know, like smart people making, you know, good choices as opposed to smart people making sort of bad choices. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can sort of mold the future by doing that. I think collectively, like that should be something that, that is a sort of taught or that is sort of a higher, you know, principle that we all follow is, hey, you know, if we're going to do stuff, let's do stuff that sort of helps other people. Because you can still make a ton of money doing that. Yeah, and you can still have a great life and you can have an even more you know, profound effect. Uh, but I think we live in sort of this, this world where a lot of people, you know, justify doing whatever they're going to do because you, know, you can make money yeah. and you can do something with that money that I don't even know matters. <laughs> now, if you were to give some, some simple advice to someone other than what you've done to stand out in business, what would you tell them? I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is just trying. Like, I think a lot of people don't try. I, uh, you know, I, I talk at colleges a lot and a lot of these kids are like, well, you know, I need to learn this or what should I go do before I start my business? And I'm like, no, just start it now. Like you guys don't realize how um, advantageous of a position you're actually in to start a business when you're in college and you can live off of ramen and you have five roommates. Um, you have no burn rate. Like a lot of people, I mean, even though you hear a lot about, you know, the 20 something kids that are starting businesses, a lot of most people that are starting businesses, I think are over the age of 40. Yeah. Um, if you look at sort of the average and a lot of those people have massive mortgages. Uh, a lot of them have, you know, uh, child support or they have these these huge you know burn rates and and they're also making a lot of money yeah. so if you're making you know 100 plus thousand dollars a year and you have a huge burn rate uh it's very tough to start a business and yeah. it, a lot of my friends that come to me and, and and are talking about it i say don't even bother if you're an idiot to do that if someone gives you a check every week are you kidding <laughs> you got a successful business yeah <laughs> but uh a college kid that makes no money and spends nothing that's the perfect time to start a business because yeah. you've got nothing, you've got no opportunity cost. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't look at it that way. They say, well, I don't have the skills yet or I don't have this, but you have the biggest thing. You have a $0 burn rate and you have nothing to lose. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You guys just got, just try. I mean, that's what it's all about. So beautiful. Final two, best advice you've received. Um, you know, one thing I've learned from Cuban and then just sort of, he's not really a mentor to me, but he's a mentor by me watching him and just sort of his, how he'll sort of guide our business. Um, is this idea of like foregoing upside and just being like paranoid on your downside. Like he's really uh, keyed in on downside risk. Um, you know, where, where I'm like, well, I got nothing to lose. I, you know, we should do this or we should spend a bunch of money here. And he's like, the only thing you got to worry about is going to zero. <laughs> wow. And he's like, I don't care. You know, if you could do 50 million a year in, in revenue next year and you do 5 million this year, he's like, you know, give up, you know, only go to 6 million, but make sure you just don't go to zero. Interesting. <laughs> so, so, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people, and I guess my assumption just was that, you know, this guy's a billionaire. He takes huge risks and he doesn't sort of know these, these people that have a lot of money and have been very successful are the, the most concerned about their downside. I mean, it's almost silly to me. Wow. Like he's worried about, you know, $10,000, you know, losing it in some bad way here. Cause wow. he's like, Oh, that's, that's a crazy mistake. This is not going to end well. <laughs> that's, that's, but that's how they make it. And yeah. so I, I thought that was crazy at first, but then the more I've been in business, the more I've seen stuff. I'm like, he's right on. Like you should, too many people are worried about, you know, their upside and they're not worried at all about the downside risk. Um, focus more on downside risk. Interesting. Great advice. Great advice. Finally, how do you want to be remembered? Um, you know, I think that's the interesting thing about, uh, you know, having a company 
because you have something that you can build and, you know, you die and it could sort of live beyond you. Um, so I think when I look at legacy, I look at that just because I like building businesses. And then something I never intended to do, which was write a book. Um, you know, that was something that I just sort of realized, hey, you know, that book's going to be around. And maybe the five-hour workday doesn't catch on in our generation or the next generation. But maybe in, you know, 2100, somebody picks up that book and maybe they have a five-hour workday 100 years from now. So when you uh, books basically live beyond people as, as do businesses. So I think that's kind of interesting. No, I love it. I, th- I think your book definitely will stand the test of time. And Stefan, you truly are doing business differently. You're living your brand. And it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Where can people learn more, connect, learn about Tower, learn about the five-hour workday? Um, you know, the five-hour workday is fivehourworkday.com. And then Tower Paddleboards is towerpaddleboards.com. Uh, you know, to connect with me, my email addresses are, are on the website. So it's not very hard to find me. Uh, but yeah, I welcome any uh, you know comments anybody has, and and thanks a lot for for having me on the show, Jesse. And I would uh, I'd love to see uh, see your baseball team, and see what you guys got going on there too. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's definitely wild. It's crazy, but you know, thank you for everything, Stephen. Appreciate, it. and uh, thanks for everything you're doing for entrepreneurs to think differently. Appreciate you having the show, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Business Done Differently. Our goal is simple, to inspire you to think different, have fun, and stand out in business and in life. For more ways you can stand out in your business, visit findyouryellowtux.com and you can get the Yellow Tux Handbook for free with the six steps to stand out directly from the Find Your Yellow Tux book. Finally, a big shout out to Podcast Pilot for producing the show and making all the magic happen. For questions, ideas, and feedback, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot a note to jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out. Thank you.